Hello everyone and welcome to A-Ball with Eric Ghost. I am Eric Ghost, and it is good to have you with us on episode number 19 as this week we'll be talking with one of the Lumber Kings starting pitchers, Remy Reed. He has been pretty impressive for the Lumber Kings as of late as so many of these Lumber Kings starters have been in the six-man rotation. Something that Remy kind of appreciates, talking about the injuries he's had to recover from and appreciating that extra day off. We appreciate him taking some time to talk with us. We had caught up with him yesterday on August the 5th. We record this before Tuesday night's game against the Beloit Snappers on August the 6th here in Clinton before the four-game homestand and series comes to an end against the Beloit Snappers, the single-A affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. A team, when you look at their record, you think the Lumber Kings, this is a time to put some distance between them and the Wisconsin Timbrattlers in the wildcard race and maybe even pick up some ground on the Kane County Cougars as Beloit is 18-25 in the second half, 45-66 overall on the season. That has not been the case. A four-game series, the first three contests have been losses. Lumber Kings are now 1-5 and five against Beloit this year at home. They are 8-1 and one against Beloit out in Beloit. So they're ahead in the head-to-head series, eight games to six. But the Lumber Kings here at home, for whatever reason, they have really been struggling as of late. Currently in their longest home losing streak of the season, six straight losses. It goes back to that series sweep against the Kent County Cougars, the single-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, series that had started back on July 4th when the losing streak had begun. Lumber Kings at, here at home, which had been a place where the Lumber Kings had played pretty well in the first half. That is starting to not be the case here in the second half as it has been tough losses. In fact, the last one we're coming off of, which if we're a little bit rusty, this is why. It was a long one. We didn't get out of here until midnight yesterday, which was on August the 5th, a Monday night game. It went 12 innings. The Lumber Kings coming from behind in two separate instances, but falling 9-11 to to the Bloyd Snappers. The longest game of the season, both in innings played 12 and time of game. Four hours and 46 minutes is what it took us. The Lumber Kings having issues with the walks. They issued 10 of them. Back in the series against the Beloit snappers this four-game set. The walks, unfortunately, have been piling up for Clinton. They have now issued 320 of them on the season, or rather 367 of them on the season, 20 of which have come in this three-game series, 10 of them last night. And the Lumber Kings in these losses, though, they've been very tight games. They just have been unable to hold on to a lead. Now, on Monday, they did not have a lead. They had come back from down 5 nothing. They had also been down by 3 in the 11th and rallied with two men out in that inning and one person aboard and then had an error continue the game. They would then fall in 12 innings, 11-9. But prior to that, all the losses in the current losing streak, now at four games, had been one-run decisions. Lumber King seeing the bullpen kind of have its woes as of late. We have certainly sang the praises of the starting rotation this year, and it's deserved a 3.29 earned run average. Very strong performances from Lumber King starters. But the relievers, by just the statistics, have been even better. 2.87 earned run average for Lumber King's relievers, over 400 and one and a third innings of work. And unfortunately, as of late, the bullpen has been creaky. Lumber Kings handed them leads on August the 3rd and August the 4th, and late rallies by the snappers had beaten them. And for the Lumber Kings, what it has meant, more blown saves. They now have 17 of them on this season, and the Lumber Kings adding two of those in the first two contests of their series against the Beloit Snappers. It has been bullpen woes at the Lumber Kings for the better part of this second half. It really avoided. One of the issues, as we mentioned, has been the walks. Ten of them issued on Monday night. 20 of them in this series now. Even as a team, the Lumber Kings have seen 
320 walks, and that is tied for the fewest drawn in the Midwest League, which is tied with the Dayton Dragons. It has been some walks while they have not been having a whole lot of them. The positives offensively, though, have been the addition of Cameron Meisner. Now, he's the 35th overall pick by the Miami Marlins, so I'm sure the fans for those Marlins are pretty well familiar with Meisner, the Mizzou product who has taken in the collective balancing round of this year's draft out of Mizzou. He's got some Clinton connections because he is right now staying here in Clinton. No host family needed because Sykema was his teammate out of Mizzou and taken in the first round by the New York Yankees while he's staying with his grandparents. So that's how tight the baseball fraternity is. It'll also be something we talk about with our guest today in Remy Reed, that small fraternity that is baseball. No matter where you go, how many miles away from home you are, it seems like familiar faces if you're in a baseball area can be found and that was the case for Meisner of course joined the Lumber Kings out on the road against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers and he has been incredibly impressive in a limited time so we'll read the statistics for Meisner which are fun to do he's batting 333 over seven games with the Lumber Kings thus far in that time productive is the way to describe it two home runs already for Meisner eight RBIs he has walked five times and struck out five times that's a on-base percentage of 457, slugging percentage of 556. We've also seen Meisner have a great arm out in center field. He's taken over for Connor Scott since his promotion up to the high A Jupiter Hammerheads as really the everyday center fielder. He covers a lot of ground. He's a big guy too, and you wouldn't expect him to move that well because of that tall frame. But Meisner, incredibly quick for a frame at six foot four, 219 pounds already this season for Meisner. Again, has only appeared for the Lumber Kings in seven games this season. He has four stolen bases and has not been caught stealing. So Lumber Kings do have a milestone that's approaching. As we record this again on August the 6th, 99 stolen bases as a team. Christopher Torres had his 20th of the season and the extra inning loss on Monday. So that'll be something the Lumber Kings will likely be knocking down either in the last game of this homestand against the Bloyd Snappers or when they hit the road to take on the Quad Cities River Bandits for a three-game series that will start on Wednesday when this episode comes out. It'll then come to an end on Friday where the Lumber Kings will then continue the road trip with a three-game series against the Peoria Chiefs from August 10th through the 12th. Then we get the off day. It will bring to an end three straight weeks of baseball. The Lumber Kings currently in one of those long grinds, and that's how they'll end the season after that league-wide off day on the 13th, which will be their last off day of the regular season before they conclude the season on on Labor Day, September 2nd. So that's how the swan song will look to unfold for the Lumber Kings in the Midwest League. They, If the season were to end today, would be a playoff team. But right now, in the midst of a losing streak, they will try to rebound behind the strong pitching that we know they have and the new parts for the Lumber Kings that, of course, we'll dive into a bit deeper when we come back. But next, we'll be joined by the Lumber Kings starting pitcher in Remy Reed. We appreciate him taking the time, and he joins us next on A-Ball with Eric Goss. Welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ghost. We are now joined by one of the Lumber King starting pitchers, Remy Reed. Thanks for taking some time to join us on the podcast side of things. Uh, no problem whatsoever. 
Well, you're in a, an interesting rotation. We sort of start with this because of the success the Lumber Kings have had, in particular in the second half. It, you know, six-man rotation. You've had a lot of success so far in the 2019 season. What, what kind of group is that rotation like? Because it really seems like that starting uh, pitching mentality, that competitiveness you kind of hear about where, you know, one guy goes out there, has a great start, you kind of want to one-up them, and that's been the success that we've seen from the Lumber Kings over the last, you know, 40 games, I guess, of this half. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the starting rotation is uh, very, very strong. We are a uh, very strong rotation. I think anybody that goes out there can throw six, seven, eight innings, even maybe even a CG. Uh, I think Soriano's going to want to do it yet, but uh, I think every time one of them goes out there, one of our guys go out there, I think it's a possibility. Um, it was a very tight-knit group. It was uh, pretty surprising. I didn't know a whole lot of them like, very, very well. I knew them, but didn't really know them all very, very well. And uh, I got up here about the halfway point, and uh, they've taken me right in perfectly. You know, I hang out with them all, and they're always really, really good guys, too, off the field besides on the field. So We had heard from that, I think, with Cameron Meisner on the pregame show because we just asked him, you know, how does it feel like when you first come here because you're, you're like Cameron, you weren't here at opening day. Is this group pretty welcoming? Because the Lumber Kings in 2019 seemed like a very loose group, a lot of fun to be around, and I guess that's the case for you with your starting rotation mates that they kind of bring you right into the fold as soon as you got here. Yeah, um, you got to play loose. I mean, so we, we're loose off the we're loose on the field, and we do that on purpose. I mean, you, you can't be too loose to where you're fooling around all the time. But by keeping it loose, it just keeps the stress down and tries to not um, push too hard. Because when you're pushing, things aren't going to go your way. So we try to keep it loose and a little more relaxed, just so that way you play a little more relaxed. And when you play a little more relaxed, good things tend to happen. Do you think this comes from the coaching staff, too? Because we've had Mark DeFelice on. He seems like a fun guy, too, obviously a very knowledgeable pitching coach. We've talked about the, uh, I think it was the spin rate with them and then, you know, the different types of pitches when they come in different careers. But in the same breath, we hear about him being in a band, you know, and being a singer. He's a great haircut uh, if you need one. So what kind of a tutelage is Mark DeFelice for the Lumber King staff? Um, DeFelice is awesome. Um, he's very, very laid back. But then if you need to talk to him one-on-one or you need to break down uh, video or do something like that he's you know perfect guy for the job um, but then uh, you know when we're just sitting around goofing around he'll play cards with you and you just you know have a good talk or whatever which is always nice so someone that you can talk to off the field but then when you need to talk serious he's can be very serious and he knows his stuff um, I had him for a little bit back in 2018 and uh, same same exact guy in 2018 is in now and uh that's important to see day in and day out he's the same guy and I, I love him DeFleece is great Jacobs is great Frankie's awesome they're uh they're all really really great and uh, I think that goes the coaching staff goes a long ways into keeping the players loose I think that I think they're trying to keep everybody loose because then you play better when you're loose you have to deal with that because of it being a 139 game schedule originally scheduled for 140 we had that cancellation out in quad cities but that's sort of the grind that we hear about in this uh, regular season that sometimes you can kind of take for granted because as a baseball fan that's usually how you begin here your baseball journey is just as a fan and then you go off to to join the ranks so to speak and then you you kind of experience what exactly 140 games is like was that an eye-opening experience for you in your professional career um it's, yeah, it's a long, it's a it's a long, long season. Um, I mean, we're on a twenty game stretch right now, and uh, you can start to feel the grind. I mean, the su- Sunday games, the Sunday games being at two o'clock, those are mainly like our days off. They're little shorter days at the field, and you get a little time after to hey, go grab dinner with some of the guys and get a little more relaxing night. Whether as during the night games, I mean, we don't get home till way late, so then we sleep in, wait, and then 
we grab lunch and then head to the field. So it's a quick turnaround on the night games, but we sleep all morning pretty much because you got to get caught up on the rest. The Sunday games are, are nice because they give you a nice time. Jay, go to grab a nice dinner and then get some rest. Well, just to highlight your point of the grind that the Lumber Kings are currently in, it's felt by broadcasters too because when we were leaving Wisconsin, that's a four-hour drive, which is up in northern Wisconsin here. So the Lumber Kings got in around 3 o'clock in the morning, then they had a night game, and then the quick turnaround with that day-night game. So that's right in the middle of not a whole lot of off days during that period. I guess something that you have to contend with, of course, during you know baseball every day. That's how you fit in 140 games over the summer. And we wanted to pick your brain too on, on the types of pitches we'll see from Remy Reed out on, there, on the mound. You talking about uh, the next start? Or well, just what, what do we usually see from you when you're out on the mound? Uh, well, what I try to accomplish out there is I, I want to establish my fastball. I want, I want to pitch off my fastball both inside and outside, particularly inner half of the plate. I think by establishing, hey, I'm going to throw – I'm going to throw my fastball in the inside half. That's going to make the hitters a little more uncomfortable, and then that's going to open up the outer half for me to throw the ball in the outer half. If you become a one-side pitcher or an only away pitcher, then the hitters typically become more comfortable, and then they're just sitting in there trying to slap the fastball the other way. Um, so for me, establishing fastball in and out is one of the top priorities. Um, and then I'll throw a breaking ball off of that. It's more of a 12-6 breaking ball, so straight up and down. Um, not a whole lot of people have that now. That's one of the things that I think makes me a little more new- unique is the type of curveball um, that I throw. And then um, I'll throw a changeup as well. That is my third pitch. That is my work on pitch. That is my uh, that is the pitch that I am trying to. That is my work in progress pitch. Um, I mean, they're all work in progress, but that is my third best pitch. Um, so I'll throw that lefties and righties, um, mixing in there when I can, and you know, seeing what happens with it because. The only way it's going to get better is if I throw it. I think we heard from uh, Alex Steve, or Alex Vesia, who was with the uh, Lumber Kings at the uh, beginning of the season. He was talking about you know the, the Marlins just as a team. If you're a starter, they want you to have that changeup uh, when you go out there as a starter, and even now even for bullpen options too. Is that type of the uh, I guess kind of the culture, the mindset that you've noticed from uh, being in the the ranks with the uh, Marlins in particular? Um, the changeup is by far the best pitch in baseball. If, if you can throw a fastball and then a changeup off of that, you can go countless innings because that, that'll keep the hitters completely off balance, and it is a pitch that you can get a lot of ground balls on. It is a contact pitch. It's not a strikeout pitch. Um, for most people, some people it can be. Most people it's a contact pitch. Um, so if you are trying to start, you need to go deep into games. You you can't be a starter and only go four, five innings every time. You need to be going five, six, seven innings to give your bullpen a rest. And so you have to see the lineup two or three times. Um, the changeup allows you to throw an OO changeup is a contact pitch. Uh, it gets the hitter a little bit out front, gets you a nice rollover pitch, a nice rollover ground ball, and allows you to save on pitch count, which is a big deal in order to go five, six, seven innings. Um, so the changeup is by far one of the best pitches in baseball, and um, a lot nowadays a lot of people coming into professional baseball don't throw them as much. That's why it's such a push for the Marlins as an organization to push it because not many people throw them as much anymore. It's always fastballs, breaking balls, or curveballs, sliders, something like that because that gets you strikeouts. And in college, the majority of the time you don't, you don't play as many days. You have more arms available in the bullpen um so it's you're more looking for strikeouts 
um, to a degree. Um, does that everybody know? But to a degree, um, you just don't th- you don't see them as much in college. So the organization's pushing it more um, because you don't see it as much in college, and it's one of the best pitches in baseball. It's interesting you say that. Of course, we're talking with Remy Reed, who is uh, a college pitcher too, the University of Oklahoma, one of the top programs that you hear throughout uh, the country just as far as prospects, the success that they typically have. Was there was that where you maybe learned to become the pitcher as opposed to the thrower? Was there any moment in your career? Because I'm sure there were times where you could, like, overpower guys, right? And then you start, I mm. mean, you talked about your pitch selection and you're trying to work in the fastball to set up these other pitches. Well, that's the chess match that goes into the professional ranks and I guess the high amateur levels of how to outthink a guy for an out when was that a realization that had come uh into your being um i was a thrower out of high school um i went to junior college for one year at navarro junior college and then uh i was lucky enough to then transfer to actually not university of oklahoma oklahoma state oh university. boy Different a, a cardinal sin i'm so sorry there, the cowboys yeah the cowboys exactly <laughs> terrible um, um they're the pitching coach um rob um he is phenomenal in that um phenomenal in uh knowing how to talk to players and when hey when you need when he needs to kind of get in you and when he needs to kind of let you let you kind of do your own thing and work through your own head because um it, it's all mental to a degree um of course there is physical attributes that you need to acquire or you you have to have um to perform but at this level or any level in professional or division one baseball it's 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 mental more than anything else um so the biggest thing for me is mental um knowing being able to slow the game down and that's why it takes longer for players to get to higher levels not because they don't have the physical ability or the physical hey this guy's got the plus fastball or the breaking ball a lot of guys have big league stuff it just takes time for them mentally to be able to slow the game down in order to slow the game down enough in order to hey i I need to throw a fastball in here because so, the hitter's trying to get the runner over, or I need to throw a breaking ball here so that way I can get a punch out, or in what situations you need to throw what pitch in order to get the outcome or try to get the outcome that you're looking for. And the confidence that you'd have perhaps in those pitches that you start to refine a little bit more. You mentioned working on uh, you know all your pitches all the time, but you know the changeup and the, and the curveball as well. And you mentioned you having to go into situations and throw those. Are there ever moments where it's like okay, you know, high leverage moment, but I gotta I gotta test what I have here and have some confidence in this pitch. And so that's where you can kind of see in that very you know specific moment where this is going to be a, a milestone, I guess, so to speak, of the development of a pitch that you will be using quite regularly throughout a start. Right, right. So the changeup in particular, that's the pitch I'm going, I'm working on. It's hit or miss. Um, fastballs, typically I have, I would say for me, I have pretty good command of my fastball and my breaking ball most times. Now it's going to be hit or miss every day. Um, so if I've got nobody on in two outs, that's a great time for me to work on that changeup. Because right, if I give up a hit, right, I still have two outs, runner on first. Worst case scenario, runner on second, typically. Um, that's a great time for me to work on the changeup. Whether as if I have runners on second, third, no outs in the first inning, probably not the most ideal time for me to throw the changeup. Um, and now if it is to a particular hitter or something like that, then I know, hey, a changeup, this is the pitch I need to throw because of our pre-meetings or something like that, that hey, he's a good guy to throw changeups to, I, maybe I'll throw it. Um, or if we have a big lead or something like that. But runners in scoring position, stuff like that, if I'm going to get beat, I don't want to get beat with my third pitch. I want to get beat with my first and second pitch, um, typically. 
Well, you're taken in the sixth round, so we can uh, correct ourselves on the horrible faux pas earlier. <laughs> Oklahoma State University, so sorry about that. Sixth round selection in 2016. What was that moment like for you? We always ask the guys because it's got to be uh, the most unique thing that's happened to you so far, right? Oh, it was phenomenal. It, um, I cannot thank the Miami Marlin organization enough for um, giving me this opportunity and being through everything that I've been. It was uh, it was phenomenal. It was uh, one of those moments that would have been great to actually see or like get the call myself. Um, but fortunately, we were still playing at the time, so we were actually at practice when it happened, and I didn't even know it happened until – an hour later after it happened we were getting out of practice and the coaches told me in the dugout um, and then we actually continued to go on and play um, so I still didn't get to experience that like getting the phone call myself but my dad um, handled it which was very very nice of him and we had talked about it before and it was a surreal moment you know that's a pretty cool group to be with when you find out, right? Part of the, the reasons, I guess, the, the guys that you're with in college that are part of that development that gets you to the pro ranks. So that's, that's a pretty special moment to have with all those guys, the coaching staff, too. Of course. Um, they were all, you know, um, very, very happy for me. And um, I was fortunate enough a lot of those guys got drafted along in that same career, that same uh, season. I would like to say 13 or something. We were tied for number one in the country that year with uh draftees but um so a lot of them i actually see them every now and then on the opposite side of the field now so that's a little different at the same time but it's uh it's fun being able to see those guys that you played ball with for two or three years and uh just see them on the other side it kind of helps too because you kind of know what 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 to throw (laughs) them and stuff like that so that's good but um no it was a surreal moment um every kid's dream and and it was everybody it was every bit of the dreams that i had when i was a kid we mention it on the broadcast usually when you go over and you see those teammates from college about just the small fraternity that is baseball because, you know, the guys have either played against each other or they've, you know, been seen each other in high school, college, been teammates or whatnot. And it's really interesting to see, you know, just you be so many miles away from home and yet see so many familiar faces. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, today, um, Duggar is starting in the big leagues for Miami. Former Lumber King, yeah. Former Lumber King, yes. And um, he actually played at Texas Tech while I was at Oklahoma State. So I actually faced him against against uh, against each other for two years, I believe. It might have been only one of the years, but two years, I believe. And now he's in the same organization as me, and he's starting on the big league team today. So, it's uh, incredible. Like, it's, it's really cool to think about, too, just uh, when you see all these guys pretty regularly. You mentioned going over some you know, adversity that you, you know, in your career. What are some of the things that you've had to, to maybe get through to get to this moment in your professional career? Um, I, I've had a pretty rough go out of it as far as uh, injuries and stuff like that. Um, right after I got drafted, I spent about a week or, week or so in the GCL, and then they sent me up to Batavia. And then my first outing in Batavia, I uh, hurt my shoulder that uh, – didn't require surgery or anything like that. However, it did require um, roughly a year's worth of, of rehab and then being built back up um, to um, be able to play. And then I finished out that season. Um, I got I was back about the halfway point when Batavia started again, and then I finished out the Batavia year, and I had a half-decent year in Batavia. Not great, but not bad by any means. And then um, – had my first full off season and then came back and was actually with uh, Defer and uh, was with Defer in um, Greensboro. And then uh, my second or third outing there, I, I blew my elbow out and had Tommy John that year. So uh, that knocked me out for an entire another uh, 12 to 14 months. And then uh, I got back about the halfway point this year again. And then um, they sent me up to Batavia and I got 
three or four starts up there or five star I don't remember a handful of starts up there I've been throwing the ball very well um, and it's you know been well I get to come here and I'm still throwing the ball very very well um, that recovery time or rehab time it's it's helped a lot it's something that allowed that I think has allowed me to mentally get a lot better um, the coach the rehab pitching coach Chad Rhodes who coincidentally is the Batavia pitching coach and then um, um, the new pitching coach as well Dave um, they've helped me almost more mentally than physically um, just allowing me to mentally mature has helped a lot in pitching and which pitches and stuff like that that that's rehab time has allowed me to get my body and most importantly mentally better for the game with Tommy John as a baseball fan you usually you hear about oh so-and-so is is out for a year and you know you don't think about the hard work that then is required to make it a one-year return you know the, the you know stretching out rebuilding strength in, in areas that you maybe have taken for granted because you had them the entire time what, did that teach you some patience maybe too uh, as you mentioned that the maturity that came along with those injuries yeah. that you had to get over yeah, the, the, the patience, I mean, the, you're, for, with TJ, you're out. Uh, it used to be 12 months. Now the fastest anybody's coming back is pretty much 14, if not 16. So they say that the, you're out for a year, but you're not really. You, are, you have surgery, and then you don't throw from anywhere from four and a half to six months after surgery. So you have an additional from month six to month 14 or longer, you're throwing. You're working out. You're th- you start working out before that six months, but you're throwing from that point. So, they say the the throwing program is intense. It it is it is putting them gradually building up that stress on the new ligament in your elbow. It is a intense and it's a, a lot of throws. It's a lot of the build up process. It is a lot of wear and tear on your body. Um, and then there goes the arm care and, and body maintenance that it takes to do that. So um, this uh, right now I've been throwing since probably September, which is a lot long, which is a long time. I mean, playing a 140-game season, it's a long throwing program anyways. It's a long throwing program for the normal player, let alone someone who's been coming in rehab for prior to that. So I've been throwing since September and it's august now so uh that it's just a, a long grind and uh being able to physically and mentally just stay on top of things is is the struggle but it's something that with the maturity and the, the year time that it's gotten better any type of new appreciation i guess for just the health when you do have it that you know this is pretty special and that it allows you to go out there every fifth or i guess for the lumber king's sixth day with the extended rotation yeah um i'm okay with the six day right yeah <laughs> i'm okay with the six day right now do they give you uh, a vote <laughs> no, i don't get a vote if they want a five day it'll be a five day but i am i will take the extra day of rest um uh it's just fun to play it's fun to be around guys day in and day out that are just having a fun time that is the most because i mean i was around baseball when i was in jupiter rehabbing um but it's not the same you're not like you're a part of the team but you're not really a part of the team um so it's fun to like be a part of the team aspect and that like the group of guys again and then seeing other guys go out there and do well and seeing win baseball games and just seeing guys grind it out the same way that you have to do um 
that's just that's what I miss the most, that team aspect of it, I would say. Well, we'll let you go with this because we didn't have you here uh, again for opening day, so we always had the guys fill out questionnaires on just so we can have something to talk about during our three-hour tap dance while we're up here calling a game. And so what are some of the hobbies that you have? Now, you mentioned this offseason maybe not a time to indulge in them because of that long throwing session that you were in in recovery, but what are some things that you do like to do when you do get a rare chance to get away from the game? Oh, I don't know. I'm... uh me and Kolick were, uh, I don't know if he, you, you've had him up That's here That's right, before. yeah. We were talking about, I think, hunting feral pigs or something like that. Uh, Kolick's a big fan of that. Kolick's been in rehab with me for a long time. Me and him know each other very, very well. Um, we like Me and him play a lot of cards, but this uh, last one when we were in rehab together, we built a giant boat out of popsicle sticks and hot glue, super glue. And then we put a RC motor with a giant battery in it. And if, oh man, this thing was five feet tall by about four feet long and about a foot wide it was a giant and it was seaworthy no it was seaworthy we put an rc motor in it and it it cruised around in this pond that we had it had little cannons on it like a like an old school pirate ship we painted it stained it um, made it waterproof and we did that in rehab for I don't know how long. We went through, I would like to say, it took about 5,000 popsicle sticks. Never yeah. mind how many calories, right? Uh, no, yeah, <laughs> luckily, you can, buy, you, right, luckily yeah. you can buy popsicle sticks. <laughs> we definitely would have been in trouble at all that, though. But, you know, we did that, you know, just something to do to work your mind, uh, something like that. Besides that, um, hunting, fishing, stuff like that. I, d- I got into fishing for a pretty good while. Um, cars stuff. And who's got the pirate ship right now? Or is it gone? Um, Kolik actually, uh, it was actually pretty pricey to put, it was a couple hundred bucks, not that bad, but to put the RC motor and stuff in it. So I was like, you can have it, Kolik. <laughs> you put the RC motor and stuff in it, I'll help you, but if you you can keep it if you buy the, the RC stuff. Well, Remy Reed, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us here on A-Ball. We really appreciate it. Oh, uh, no problem. And welcome back to A-Ball with Eric Yost. You just heard from the Lumber Kings, one of their starters in Remy Reed. We appreciate him taking the time. And I thought that was pretty cool hearing about a pirate ship being made. And we'll have to maybe get even more details from Remy about that. It was interesting to hear him and Tyler Kolick passing the time in rehab by building seaworthy popsicle pirate ships out in in Florida, which I imagine not too many players can say, but that was a case for Remy Reed. A high selection for the Miami Marlins in the 2016 draft taken in the sixth round. And again, we have a, a grave apology to make for confusing Oklahoma University or the University of Oklahoma with Oklahoma State University. That was a cardinal sin that we are very appreciative that Reed did not take off the headset right there and storm off because I'm sure the thought had crossed his mind. Lumber Kings here in the second half, as we are talking about when we had the introduction, currently in the wild card race. In fact, they own that spot four games back of the King County Cougars, a team that just continues to win. Where the Lumber Kings in the Eastern Division right now, they would have a one-game lead. Instead, right now, four games back of the Cougars, were 30-13 and 13 at the recording of this on August the 6th. The single-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, they have been a pitching team that does not 
uh, really allow any kind of runs. We saw them take on the Quad Cities River Bandits, a team that we know to be pretty good because they won the first half in the Western Division and are over 500 again in the second half. But right now, King County, it just seems like they either shutting them out or allowing only one run to a team that can put some runs on the board. Cougars pitching staff is the best in the Midwest League if you go by earned run average, but number two on that list is the Clinton Lumber Kings. They bring into into the action on the Tuesday night game against the Beloit Snappers, a team ERA of 3.12. It is nearly a half a run shorter than what their opponents are bringing to face them. Lumber Kings pitching, though, as we mentioned, in the bullpen has had some struggles as of late. But we want to highlight some positives, and that was Manuel Rodriguez. Talking with the manager, Mike Jacobs, on the pregame show out in Wisconsin, we were just kind of picking his brain on what Manuel has done for the Lumber Kings as of late. Remember, he had begun the season in the Lumber Kings starting rotation, and right now is their only left-handed bullpen option. Well, he has really thrived in that role. And we talked to it about Mike Jacobs, and he said, listen, this is exactly what Manuel had done last season when I had him out in Batavia. And just look at the types of performances that he's turned in over his last five outings. He had come out of the bullpen against the Fort Wayne Tin Caps at home on July 13th. Four innings of work, no runs allowed, got the win. The next time he came out against Lansing. Three and, a, three and a third innings of work, no runs allowed, got a no decision. Face Kent County, as we know, a, a pretty talented team. Five innings of work that time, a no decision, allowed one run on five hits. Then got the win against Wisconsin on August the 1st, three and a third innings of work, no runs allowed. Last time out against the Beloit Snappers in a game that saw lots and lots of offense, lots of walks. Well, Rodriguez, he did not allow really any offense and no walks. He went three and a third innings, got a no decision, only one hit surrendered at Lenda one run, did not walk any and struck out one. He is fun to watch, folks. A left-hander that has a great curveball. It's led to strikeouts at times, but really a pitcher that has let his defense work behind him. And that defense, it has been pretty sharp for the Lumber Kings, even though we record this after a four-error game on Monday night. The defense for the Lumber Kings has really just complimented the pitching staff, which has been sharp all season long. It's why they are second in the Midwest League when it comes to the earned run average. On the offensive side of things, the Lumber Kings are being led primarily by two guys, and that is Peyton Burdick, who had another big game on Monday, had a three-run double into straightaway center field. It came with the bases loaded. Also, it scored a run later on in the 12th, which turned out to be the final run of that game. Burdick right now has had 34 runs driven in. He's in just 40 games for the Lumber Kings. Incredibly productive for Peyton Burdick to begin his season with the Lumber Kings, the third-round selection by the Miami Marlins in this year's draft. We had him on the podcast, I think it was two episodes ago. Burdick at the time of this recording batting 292, four home runs, 34 RBIs, a slugging percentage of 481 because he's got... Not just the four homers, he's got 13 doubles and two triples as well. It all goes with an on-base percentage of 386. And then hitting before him typically has been Cameron Meisner. Now we touched on him already in the first part of the podcast. The Mizzou product who has selected 35th overall, very tall figure. And I think as Mike Jacobs had accurately described on the pregame show when we talked with him out in Wisconsin, he's a big guy. I see why the Marlins took him that high. And that was right after Cam had a home run for the second straight game for the Lumber Kings, and it ended up being the deciding factor in a win over the Wisconsin Timberrattlers. So expert analysis from Mike Jacobs as we tip our cap to Mike on that very accurate description of Cameron Meisner. Again, six foot four, 219 pounds from Poplar Bluff, 
Missouri. Also on the offensive side of things has been Christopher Torres. Now the hitting streak may be over, but Chris continues to get on base, and when it happens, it tends to lead to stolen bases. He is now the leader for the Lumber Kings on this team. When it comes to stolen bases, he has got 20 of them with the promotion of Connor Scott up to the High A Jupiter Hammerheads. Christopher Torres now the leader. He's only been caught stealing, though, this season three times, so he's 20 of three. Chris very aggressive, too, when you see him on the base pass, not when it comes to stolen bases, but just going first to third on base since. He's been the consummate leadoff man for the Lumber Kings, really has been the spark plug atop the order. And when the Lumber Kings offense goes lately, it's been because of Chris Torres starting rallies and then leading to the big bats of Cameron Meisner and Peyton Burdick. One Lumber King that has been struggling as of late has been Will Banfield. He had a stretch where he had gone 0 for 15, come to an end out in Wisconsin with one of the longest singles of this season. It landed on the warning track in left field, so about 325 feet, I'd say, for Banfield, just trying to remember the dimensions out at Neuroscience Group Field, the home of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, a single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. And since then, though, Will has just not had a whole lot going on at the plate. Now, he's still in the middle of this Lumber Kings order as a cleanup hitter. He had gone 0 for 6 in the marathon game against the Beloit Snappers and has now seen the average sort of plummet for Will as of late. Been around the 220 mark for a good chunk of this season. He's now batting 193 as a result of the skid at the plate. Still with lots of power, nine home runs and 48 RBIs on this season. Well, as we mentioned, though, the only remaining teenager that is on the Lumber Kings roster, just 19 years of age. It is game number 113 that we record this before, so it also could be an instance of seeing that long season, especially for a catcher like Will Banfield, sort of take its toll on Will Banfield, who's in his first full season of professional baseball, but still in the middle of the order for the Lumber Kings. Also, the likes of Evan Edwards has been impressive, too. In addition, that kind of feeds off the success of Bubba Hollins, Thomas Jones, and now Davis Bradshaw. starting to heat up a little bit for the Lumber Kings as well. And we also wanted to give a, a shout-out, too, to Zach Scott, who's seen his average sort of climb up a bit after he was down at the 150 level. He's gained 30 points in his average as of late. Has a little bit of power, and we joked with Zach about that on the pregame show when we were talking with him in Wisconsin. He's played such a great second base, which Lumber Kings right now, they're platooning between Zach Scott and Samuel Castro, and he had some power, and so we were asking him, you know, what's the power like? Because we had him last year. He's the only returner from the Lumber Kings from a season ago because of the affiliation change. And we said, well, you know, you've had power this year, two home runs. What's the deal? He said, well, I had some power in college, and I guess we've been hoping that it'd show up, and maybe it finally is. And then we touched on the defense, and we said, you've played a great second base. Is there such thing as being hot defensively? And that really threw Zach for a loop. He said, I've never quite heard defenders described as being hot, but hey, I'm not hot at the plate, so I'll take it. And Zach Scott, he was a big part of the Lumber Kings come from behind effort on Monday. Again, it fell short, but he had the RBI single in the 11th inning that started a three-run rally that the Lumber Kings would tie the game with and then fall 11-9. So that is the offensive recap for the Clinton Lumber Kings as they get set for game number 113 of their season and the final game of their first homestand in the month of August. Not a whole lot of baseball left for the Lumber Kings this season, so hopefully we are going to be seeing you shortly out at the ballpark as we will shamelessly plug the broadcast side of things. 
We, of course, want to see everybody out this season, and who knows, maybe we'll see you in the postseason as well. Lumber Kings still have some work to do, though, and getting back onto the winning side of things. Of course, you can listen to all Lumber Kings games on 100.3 FM, a WCCI, for those of you that are in the broadcast range. For those of you outside of the broadcast range, you can listen to all Lumber Kings games online via the TuneIn Radio app at LumberKings.com. Want to give a special thanks to Remy Reed for taking some time to talk with us on the podcast this week. We certainly do appreciate it with the way things are going. The Lumber Kings have so many options to talk next week. Who knows? It could be Cameron Meisner. It could be Evan Edwards. We've got lots and lots of options. Davis Bradshaw, too. You'll just have to tune in to find out for episode number 20 when we join you next week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on episode 19. We'll talk to you next week.